Good morning, everyone. Um, I hope you all had a good week, that you all enjoyed Paddy's Day and the rugby, the rugby as well, yeah, <laughs> nice, uh, nice win. Um, before we get into Genesis 15, let's just bow our heads in prayer uh, to God Almighty. Uh, Father in heaven, I thank you for this church, these people that I see in front of me, Lord. Um, I thank you for this day that we have, that we can gather together, that we can learn from each other, that we can grow in fellowship, Lord, that we can just come together as, a, as one um, in worship of you, Lord. And um, I just pray that your spirit would be upon everyone here, that you would cleanse our minds, that you would take away any kind of anything that would distract us, whether that be finances, family, work, and that our, just, our attention will be focused just on what you have to say to us today. And just that you would apply your word, your message to our minds and to our hearts, Lord, that we wouldn't, that we would have hearts and minds willing to receive what you have to say to us and that we'd be able to comprehend it, but just that your spirit would be present in us and that it would apply us, apply it to us. And just that you would, that your spirit would be on me, Lord, that you would help me relay this message that you have and relay the truth of this relationship and this chapter that is that you that you wrote out as well lord so um uh, we thank you again in jesus name we pray amen okay um so to begin with chapter 15 picks up immediately after chapter 14 which adam preached on two weeks ago which had abram rejecting the wealth offered him by the king of Sodom because he had lifted his hands to the Lord Most High and that he didn't want the king to have a claim that he had made him rich. He rejected the wealth offered him so that the glory of God wouldn't be tarnished at all. So after reading that, you're probably left thinking, wow, Abram's faith was really strong. He rejected the wealth of a king. You might even be thinking, if you were in that position, you wouldn't be able to do that. That your faith is nothing like Abram's at all. I would like for you to hold that thought as we go into chapter 15. So the chapter opens with God speaking to Abram in a vision. Fear not, Abram, I'm your shield. Your reward shall be very great. God reassures Abram of his decision, telling him not to fear, that he will protect him, and that his reward will be very great. So God speaks to Abram very personally. He doesn't hide himself behind any rewards or anything he has to do. There's no cloak, there's no mist, there's no works or sacrifices. God is right there. And he's very clearly on Abram's side. And he's doing everything to, to make that known to him. But how does Abram respond to God? Well, let's see. Verse 2 reads, But Abram said, O Lord God, what will you give me? For I continue childless, and the heir of my house is Eliezer of Damascus. And then verse 3, Behold, you have given me no offspring, and a member of my household will be my heir. So here we see Abram's response to God. 
he doesn't thank God for the reassuring comments and the words of affection present to him like you would think that he would. He quote, pleads with God and he questions him. Oh Lord God, what will you give me? I continue childless. You've given me no offspring. You can almost feel the stress, his near anxiety from these verses when he asks these questions to God. He doesn't know how God is working in his life at this point in time. So what are we to make of this? What are, what are we here today to make of this? Abraham, this great man, Abram at this point, sorry. Abram, this great man of faith, who we saw earlier reject the wealth of kings so that the glory of God wouldn't be tarnished, is seen questioning God at a point when God is very clearly for him. Again, fear not, Abram, I am your shield. Your reward will be great. I'll protect you. So the first thing to know is that Abram here has not turned away from God. He's not shaking his fist saying, ah, good luck to this, we're getting nowhere. He's questioning the working out of God's promise to him. At this point, he has no idea what it's going to look like. He's old and rich and still has no child to pass all of that on to. And if he dies, all his wealth, all his rewards, all his blessings, everything God had gifted him with, his journey, everything he'd been through, will go right back to a pagan and it'll be the very, very reverse of the very thing that he did in chapter 14. He's concerned for his legacy and God's glory. So it's important to know that the nature of Abram's questions here are not a what if, what, but a how. How, God, will you do this? How, God, will you work this out? It's not a, I don't think you're going to do this. He's not accusing God. He's not casting doubt on him. He, 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 he right here is at an impasse. He's left everything to follow God. He's fought in battles. He's met kindred spirits like Melchizedek that we saw two weeks ago. And he's rejected the wealth of kings. But it's at this point in his journey that when he looks around, He's not sure how everything's going to work out, that he's now, he's now beginning to question. So with all that in mind, let's just take a look at our own spiritual lives. <clears throat> Have you ever looked around in your own life and not been sure how it's going to work out? Have you ever been uncertain? Have things been unclear about what God is doing in your own life? Have you even felt like as a Christian you mightn't have even changed at all? Or that you don't know what it looks like, what it means to be a Christian? This is the position that Abram had found himself in here in chapter 15. I'm not sure how many of you in this room have ever felt like that um, uncertainty and not sure what God is doing. But I, I speak from personal experience when I say I felt like that and go in and out of seasons of feeling like that all the time. Seasons of questioning, of sometimes confusion, of uncertainty almost. 
whether that be about God himself, about the Bible, but most often it's about what God is doing in my own life, whether that be practically about jobs, housing, where to move, things like that, or spiritually, what kind of person am I growing into? Even up until recently, a friend of mine had to point out to me that I was in the exact same spiritual phase, this part of the journey, as Abraham is in right now. It's not a great position to find yourself in. You can feel very spiritually dry and unmotivated. It can be challenging. Sometimes you might even feel guilty because of this feeling and decide to hide away from God, thinking he wants nothing to do with you or your questions. But the act of questioning God in the midst of uncertainty is not a unique one, um, a unique one to us or to Abram here. And it's seen throughout the whole Bible. We see it in David's Psalms, uh, Psalm 10, verse 1. Why, O Lord, do you stand far away? Why do you hide yourself in times of trouble? In Habakkuk 1, 2. O Lord, how long shall I cry for help and you will not hear? In Job 7.20, who have I become a burden to you? In other words, why have I become a burden to you? And many other books of the Bible. So if you are in this phase, don't feel alone because you're in very, very good company. Um, So with all that said, what what is God's response to Abram's questions here? So verse 4 to 5 reads, And behold, the word of the Lord came to him. This man shall not be your heir. Your very own son shall be. And he brought him outside and said, Look toward heaven and number the stars, if you were able to number them. Then he said to him, So shall your offspring be. It's what a beautiful way to answer that question. He just takes them out, points them to the stars, and says, your offspring will be as many as the stars in the sky. He is again very comforting towards Abram. He immediately answers his question, this man, Eliezer of Damascus, shall not be your heir, but your very own son shall be. God is not frustrated with Abram. He doesn't chastise him and for questioning him and say, why are you questioning me? You know, he doesn't begrudge him like that, which he very well could have responded in that way. But again, he simply brings him outside and points him up to the stars and tells him that his offspring will number them. So no anger, no frustration, just only love and mercy we see from God. So how do you think God responds to you and to your questions about life and faith. I'll give you a second just to to think about that. If some of you were thinking that he doesn't respond at all, or he doesn't care, or he doesn't hear anything, you'd be very much wrong. If God is the same God who he is to Abram, he has to, he, he's the same God to us. And his treatment of us should be similar. 
and this is a point I'll get back to later, but just, I'll get, just stay with me here where we're at. So the word of the Lord will not, doesn't come upon us like it, like it did, Abram. But we can just as easily go to God in prayer, letting him know where we're at spiritually and what we're seeking, how we're feeling, very easily just going to him in prayer, which God will answer through his sovereignty, his providence, and according to his own will, God's own will, will he answer our petitions and our needs. And we can also, we can also go to this, the literal word of God. So in this chapter, God doesn't tell Abram anything new. He simply reminds him of the promises he had already made him. And it's the same with us. When we're faced with doubt or questions or any sort of spiritual deprivation that we have inside, we need to remind ourselves of God's promises and his faithfulness to keep them in the past. We need to seek him in his word. We need to learn of his character, of who he is, of how he dealt with people, his people, in the past. And I would argue that a good portion of questions have, that we have have already been asked by the people in the Bible. So it is a good place to seek answers and to see how God has come through for those particular people and to see how he's dealt with them and to see his responses. As Jesus said, for everyone who asks receives and the one who seeks finds and the one who knocks, it will be open. God will answer these issues if we seek them in God, so we seek them in God and we go to God with them, and not away from him, which is very important that we, we go to God with these issues and not seek to resolve them ourselves or try and manipulate things, but that he is the answer, that we seek them in him as Abraham did. In verse 6, we have a very, very important verse uh, here. And he believed the Lord, and it counted to him as righteousness. So what, what does that mean? It means that God recognized that despite Abram's anxieties about the current situation, that he had faith that God would deliver on his promises that despite things looking bleak in the moment, that he had faith, that he knew, that he trusted that God would deliver on these promises, that God would be true to his word. And we see a very similar situation in the Gospel of Mark, similar but not, not the same, where Jesus is in a crowd seeking to heal a man's daughter where this sick woman approaches him, simply believing if she touches his garment, merely believing if she just gets close enough, not even, she's not even thinking about asking him, just if she can just get close to Jesus, that she'd be made well. Again, she's not even thinking about asking him. She just has faith that by going to him, that she, has, that she would be healed just by being in his presence, by touching him. 
And it does. That woman was healed by just merely being in the presence of Christ. And when Jesus realizes, because he's so focused on this woman, or the, the daughter, when Jesus realizes what has happened, and he's completely unaware um, in this scene, he says, daughter, your faith has made you well. Go in peace and be healed of your disease. This is the kind of faith that God deems as righteous. When things don't look good, and when we entrust those things to God, and when we seek God as the solution, when we seek God as if our very lives depend on it, and they do, our very lives depend on us striving after God. Now, I want to clarify that this is an exceptional circumstance, this woman. And going to God, expecting him to solve all of our questions, all our desires, all our doubts, things we want, and expecting him to answer them immediately is not the right way to go about things. That's not how God works. And we're going to move on to how he works shortly. But we must have faith that he will work them out. Maybe not today, maybe not tomorrow, but that he will work out, that he will cater for our needs in accordance to his own desires, in accordance to what God wants, and in God's way. And that's part of seeking, thing, seeking him as the solution, that we entrust his way is the right way, the perfect way. So that begs another question. Is God faithful? We know what kind of faith God is looking for. We know what we need to entrust to him. We know God is on our side. And we know when we ask him questions, he won't respond badly to our questions and our fears. But can he and will he, A, deliver what he's promised, and B, do it in the best possible way, in a way that only he could do it. So let's continue um, back into Genesis 15. So verse 7 reads, uh, in verse 7, we have God again reassuring Abram who he is, where he called him from, and why. So verse 7 reads, I am the Lord who brought you out of Ur of the Chaldeans to give you this land to possess. So again, I can't stress this enough that God here in this situation is really doing everything he can to comfort Abram. He's, he's reminding him of who Abram is, who God is, and where he's come from, and why he's on this journey in the first place. He's not dismissive, he's not arrogant, he's not cold-hearted. He's very, very loving. And what's Abram's response to God's next act of love? Another question. Oh, Lord God, how am I to know that I shall possess it, the land? So again, Abram is faithfully asking God as to what his plan will look like. And this shows the faith that he has and that he's willing to ask God 
how will this work? What's this going to look like? As opposed to nervously pushing these questions and these concerns into the back of his head and avoiding them altogether until an appropriate time or until he completely just gives up on God alone. He has enough faith to actually ask God, what is this going to look like? His, he's very active, Abram, in his relationship with God. He's constantly seeking him out and constantly asking him, how is his plan going to work out? How are things going to work out? And we can really see that it is a strong relationship that the two possess, that they share, that it's more than just God, a benevolent servant, you do, as I'm, you do whatever I tell you to do. It's so much more personal than that. So now we're into verse 8, <clears throat> where things get a little bit technical here in verse 8. So God's response to Abram's question here in verse 8, and the question was, O Lord God, how am I to know that I should possess it? Oh, sorry, I beg your pardon. Verse 9 we're in right now. So God, in his response, tells Abram to bring him a heifer, three years old, a female goat, again, three years old, a turtle dove, a ram, three years old, and a young pigeon. And it's with these that Abraham cuts them in half and then lays, lays each half against the other, except for the birds of prey, except for the birds. And as he waits, he's chasing away the vultures and he's keeping everything contained. Um, so this all seems really, really bizarre of a response. He's, he doesn't like give him a direct response. He's telling me, get these things. And it's not quite the response you would think a, a person would give. But what God is doing in, in giving this command to Abram is that he's telling him to get things ready for a covenant or an agreement. And it's also interesting to note that Abram knows exactly why God is asking him um, asking him to get these things together because he hasn't asked him a question as to, oh, why, am I, why do you need me to get these things? He knew, he knew immediately. He would have understood um, what the symbolism of these, of these things were. Why? Because in Abram's day, um, it was a custom to seal sacrifices with the spilling of blood. That was, what, that was how covenants and agreements were sealed. That's how things were done. Um, especially when things of a higher magnitude went beyond a handshake. So verse 13 to 16 reads, um, Know for certain that your offspring will be sojourners in a land that is not theirs and will be servants there. And they will be afflicted for 400 years. But I will bring judgment on the nation that they serve. And afterward, they shall come out with great possessions. And as for you, Abram, you shall go to your fathers in peace. And you shall be buried in a good old age. And they shall come back here in the fourth generation, for the iniquity of the Amorites is not yet complete. So God speaks to him after Abram falls into a deep sleep. 
and a great darkness comes over him. So that, that's when God gives this response. So this response here is a multi-layered response. So God doesn't tell Abram, it's yours. You're the king now, go have fun. He tells him that he will die in peace and that his descendants will inherit the land. Reading that, that seems like a little bit of a letdown. Abram's going to die and his descendants are going to inherit the land. But when you really examine God's response, is that really a letdown? When we really think God's response here through, we can see the immense wisdom in how God responds to Abram. God, again, was to instantly give Abram the land. What would he do with it? Sure, he has a couple of hundred people following him on his journeys and his travels, but that's not enough to cover a whole country, a whole land. That's not enough to work the land's ground, to live in its cities, to be a nation as God had promised him. It just wouldn't work. It's just not enough manpower almost. So God gives the seed of Abram time to grow and to multiply, to expand, to allow Abram's people to number the stars that he had promised them. And then after their time of affliction, they could leave wealthy and inherit this land. And with the right means and the right manpower to work and to establish this land as a nation as he, as he has promised. And this is something that, again, could not be done by Abram and his people. He just didn't have enough men to overtake a whole land, to work it, to make it fruitful, to be a nation, as God promised him. But a whole country of people, with all of their roots that trace right back to Abram, that's a nation, and that is Abram possessing the land in a very, very real way, and that every single person there comes from him. <laughs> we can't really say that about our country or any country. He also answers Abram's fears about his legacy and, his, and about the blessing and rewards and what would be done with them and about them going back to a pagan. Because very clearly that wouldn't be the case because he, he would have his own son and his son would have a son and, and this is how things were going to play out. But then there is that very last bit of God's answer to Abram. For the iniquity of the Amorites is not yet complete. So what does that mean? The iniquity of the Amorites is not yet complete. So the Amorites were the original inhabitants of the land that God had promised Abram. These were very vile people. They were savages nearly. They worshiped false gods. They participated in child sacrifices and I'm sure probably a lot more things that we're not aware of. So why does God say that their iniquity, their badness, is not yet complete? What this basically means is that God was very patient in dealing with these people, as he was with the people of the pre-flood world, as we looked at in Noah and the flood. He was waiting for these people to commit enough sin and evil 
So that when Abram's people did come in and to overtake the land, that this judgment would have been a measured and fair one. That they weren't just a bunch of nice kind of monastic people, that they were bad people that required justice. But this also demonstrates God's grace and that he was giving these people 400 years, 400 long years to repent of what they were doing and to turn away and to turn to him. So God, in giving this answer to Abram, holds all of these factors in his hand between the growth of his people, the original inhabitants, two very big things to juggle. And in God, in holding these things, he works out a solution that is the best possible outcome for all parties involved, which is just and which is fair and which is measured. God is not our little genie in a lamp that we just... He pops out and he's the three wishes type. You know, he's not that kind of God. He is providential and he holds all things in the balance, history and time. And this is something that we need to remember when things don't go our way. There are other factors, other people involved and that God is sovereign to work them all out. And in doing all of that, working all of these things out, God is furthering his own plan and his own wishes and his own desires and his own mission. And that it's not our little schemes or our little desires to win the lotto or get a new car. It's God's mission, it's God's plan, it's God's desires, and it's God's wishes. So again, yeah, God is not our genie. We play to the beat of God's drum, and he doesn't play to ours. Now in the end of this, of this chapter, verses 17 to 21 read, When the sun had gone down and it was dark, behold, a smoking fire pot and a flaming torch passed between these pieces. On that day, the Lord made a covenant with Abram saying, to your offspring, I give this land, from the land of Egypt, the great river, the river Euphrates, the land of the Canaanites, the Kenizzites, the Kadamites, the Hittites, the Perizzites, the Rephim, the Amorites, the Canaanites, the Girgashites, and the Jebusites. So it's one important thing to point out, is that who makes this covenant with who? God makes this covenant with Abram. And the nature of how he makes this covenant, it's not like a business arrangement where one guy one says one thing, the other says another thing, and we negotiate for a little while, and then both parties end a little bit unhappy, but come to a compromise, and there's haggling. God tells Abram that he will give him the land. Now, you're probably wondering what is going on with the sacrifices and the flaming torch that flies in between, and, and what is that? What was that? What was going on there? So there are a few interpretations as to what this might have been, but the most generally accepted one is that God was sealing this covenant by passing through the flames of these dead animals, that God was sealing, binding this covenant. 
and that God was swearing to uphold it. And that if he didn't uphold it, he would be as the animals he had passed through were. So this is, again, another act of comfort being made by the Lord, being made by God to Abram. Not only does God initiate this command, but swears by himself to maintain it. God has done in this chapter everything to make Abram feel secure. He has responded lovingly to his questions. He has reminded him of who God, of who God is and who Abram is and why he came from where he came from, why he went on this journey in the first place. He has made him a promise. And not only has he made him just a simple promise, but he has made this promise by establishing himself, God, as the guarantor, sealing it by himself. So that's all God's side of this arrangement. But what's demanded of Abram? Nothing. Nothing but trust that God would deliver and what he said he would do. So this covenant is a covenant of grace. Um, so to get back to that question, um, was God faithful to Abram in this covenant? Yeah, absolutely, yes, he was. And you can read the book of Exodus right up to the book of Joshua to see the rise of the Jewish people, to see them in Egypt, to see their affliction, and to see them leaving Egypt and ultimately entering into the promised land, taking hold of it, and making it their own. So that's really good to read, and, and as God said, things would happen the way, he did, the way he said they would. But is God continually going to be faithful to this promise, this big promise, that he had made Abram, to this covenant he had made him? After all, when we look up at night, there's a lot of stars in the sky. So to answer that question, yes, God is again faithful to Abram and is continually so. And it costs God a lot for it to be, to be faithful. It costs God uh, his very own flesh to keep it, as he claimed it would in this ceremony. So what am I talking about when I say that? I'm talking about Jesus Christ, God in the flesh, who lived and was crucified and died as a ransom for our own lives. So you see, as you read on in those stories, in, in, in those other books of the Bible of Exodus, Joshua, you, you see, Abram's descendants couldn't keep the faith. They were always dragging their heels. They were always, there was always friction between them and God. And we can't keep it either. It was God who was constantly renewing this covenant with Abram's descendants, constantly reaching out, constantly reestablishing with, with each new generation that went on. But they all ultimately would keep turning away in favor of other things, or they'd forget about God, and they would just, yeah, just forget about God. So God, in another act of grace, gives the law of Moses to these people, to govern these people, and to keep 
these people in check and to give them a way of life. And the descendants of Abram still turned away. They still neglected God and his law. So God in the flesh, Jesus, came to pay the penalty of that law that he had given. And he did all of that to restore us to him, giving us access to him through Jesus, as Pastor Jason had spoke about last week, and again sealing us to him again in Jesus, giving us new hearts and giving us the Holy Spirit to be at work in us as we walk through this, this life of faith. And it is true, it is through faith that we are reconciled to God. Faith in Jesus and faith in his life, his death and resurrection, that we are made righteous, that we are deemed righteous before God. In the same way Abram was deemed righteous before God when he believed that God would be faithful in what he would do, we are deemed righteous when we believe that God was faithful in what he did do, and what he promised to do. And the Apostle Paul writes about this quite often um, in the Epistle of Galatians. So if I could add in the whole of that chapter, if you want to read it afterwards, I, I really would, but I'll just have to settle for the final few verses uh, here. So in verse 26 of Galatians, For in Christ Jesus you are all sons of God through faith. For as many of you were baptized into Christ, have put on Christ. There is neither Jew nor Greek. There is neither slave nor free. There is no male and female. For you are all one in Christ Jesus. And if you are Christ's, then you are Abram's offspring, heirs to the promise. So to bring it back to that question that I had asked at the start, is your faith like Abram's? Yes. And it's because we recognize that we are the problem and that we have problems and that God is the solution to both of these things, the problems we have and the problem we are, ultimately, that God delivers us and that he had delivered on what he said he would do, makes us also children of Abram in that we walk and talk through the exact same spiritual journey as Abram did, having faith and trusting in God and in what he said he would do. And when I look around this room here, I see people from different nations, from different tribes, from different tongues, and yet we are all following the exact same path that Abram did, the path of faith. This is an immense testimony of God's faithfulness, all of us here in this room, that we are here worshiping him. God is still making spiritual children for Abram and proving to be continually faithful to that promise and that covenant that he has made him with each new person that confesses Jesus of Nazareth as their Messiah, a new heir of this promise is made. So to wrap all of this up, um, if you are a Christian, 
When you face struggles, questions, fears, or anxieties about life or faith, and you will, it happens, follow Abram's path of faith, going to God with these issues, trusting that he will work them out, because he has and he will, seeking him, seeking the solutions in him and not away from him, and trusting that you are a child of God and an heir of this promise through our Messiah, Jesus Christ. If you're not a Christian here today, I would encourage you to read the Gospels, to ask your questions that you have, but to seek them in the person that is Jesus. He made a claim. He claimed that he was the way, the truth, and the life. Recognize the grace that God is showing you right now in this, in this moment, in this season. The time he's giving you now to repent and to turn away. Recognize your own failings and your need of a savior and join this ever-growing family of people who God has been a shield to like he has been Abram. Uh, let's pray. Uh, Lord, thank you for this church. Thank you for these people. Um, I pray just as the week goes on that your spirit be upon us, that you would be at work in us, Lord, that you would help make us more like Christ and grow an admiration and affection for him in our lives, Lord. Uh, bless this week and just bless these people in Jesus' name. Amen. <laughs>